Father, we love you so much, and we thank you, Father, that we can be here tonight and experience your presence, that we can come to you boldly in prayer, that because of what you have done through your son Christ on the cross, that we have free access to you, that you are our Abba Father, and that you have given us the righteousness of Christ because we have received Jesus. We have received him into our lives. We thank you, Father. We thank you and, and we praise you for the work that you've done. And now we come to you and your word and we desire to learn from you. Nobody wants to hear this guy talk. We only wanna know what you have to say. We wanna be led by your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father, that you would teach us and that we would grow. God, we commit everything in, in our lives to you right now. Everything that's going on around us, everything with our families and our jobs and our finances and our health and, and, and the world and politics and natural disasters and everything that's going around us right now, God, we know that you're not surprised by one thing and we trust you. We lay all of that down at your feet and we say, Father, we're yours. Teach us, lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we are in Joshua 21. And I just very quickly want to go over a little bit of a review of some of the things that we have learned from the book of Joshua. We know that Joshua took over leadership from Moses, right? And we know that he and the people of Israel crossed over the, the Jordan miraculously into the promised land. We know that the people all decided that they would follow Joshua, that he was amazing because he was just like Moses and God was doing miracles in his life. And, and so they were excited about it. In fact, God did many amazing and miraculous things, including making them a victorious army. But they also suffered a couple of serious defeats along the way because, why, you remember why? Because Joshua forgot to ask God, forgot to get direction from God first. We know that the tabernacle was moved from Gilgal to Shiloh. It was for seven years in Gilgal. It was moved to Shiloh for almost 400 years. We know that Shiloh means a place of rest. And Shiloh was in the center of the promised land. And so the nation of Israel lived their lives around that center. As if to say, God is the center of our existence. The land was divided up and given to the tribes. And each tribe had their own section or region. But we remember from chapter 18 and 19 that they had to actually go and possess the land that was given to them. Do you remember that? They were told to go possess it. So the land was divided up and given to the tribes, and each tribe had their own section, right? Last week, Josh, Pastor Josh, talked about the cities of refuge. Do you remember how the cities of refuge were sort of a picture of Christ as our city of refuge? Only in the city of refuge in the Old Testament, people fled to them because they were innocent of murder. They had accidentally killed someone and they fled there for safety. With us, we're absolutely guilty of sin and we flee 
to our city of refuge. And because of his grace and mercy, we're saved. So it looks like up to this point, everything's getting squared away for Israel. But there is another group that still doesn't have a place to call home. And that's the tribe of Levi. Do you guys remember why Levi wasn't given a region, wasn't given land? I'll tell you why. There's two verses I want to refer to. The first one is in Joshua 13, verse 14. It says, to the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. And then in verse 33 of the same chapter, he says, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. Now we're going to find out why that's the case in just a moment. Let's go ahead and read from chapter 21. Joshua 21, verse 1. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eliezer the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, the Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. The lot came out of the clans of the Kohathites. So those Levites who were descendants of Aaron, the priest received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin, 13 cities. And the rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan and the half-tribe of Manasseh, ten cities. The Gershonites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan, thirteen cities. The Merarites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Zebulun, twelve cities. These cities and their pasture lands, the people of Israel gave by lot to the Levites as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Now, that's a lot of names, and you may not think, well, you know, I don't know what all that means. I don't know the significance of that. Uh, how many tribes are there? Twelve, right? Well, the Levites haven't received anything yet, and the twelve tribes are named after who? Who? The sons of Jacob, right? So the, uh, there are 12 tribes named after the sons of Jacob. Levi doesn't get uh, land because God declared it to be so, and we're going to find out why in a minute. Who are the Kohathites? And who are the Gershonites and the Merarites? Well, I want to tell you, Kohath, Gershon, and Merari were sons of Levi, okay? And so from their names... Clans are developed within the tribe of Levi, and that's what it's talking about. So these clans, named after these sons of Levi, received cities, and then it says, from these tribes. And I want to tell you that overall, 48 cities were awarded to the Levites. 
48 cities were given to them to live in. This does not mean that when it says they received this, these cities, that they owned the cities. It means that they lived there beside the people from those tribes that were in there. And there's, there's a reason why that's happening. Let's talk a little bit about the history of Levi. I think it's significant. Uh, Levi was the third son of Leah and Jacob. And she named him Levi because she hoped that her husband's love would turn to her. Remember what was happening with Leah and Rachel. They were in a rivalry for the love of their husband. So when Levi came along, uh, Leah was hoping, so she named him Levi, hoping that her husband's love would turn to her. All right. Now, why did the Levites become of a, a family who would serve for generations in the temple or in the tabernacle in worship? Levi and Simeon are brothers, right? Two of Jacob's sons, and their sister Dinah was assaulted by a man named Shechem in the village of Shechem. All right. So it's a little bit confusing. But Dinah, their sister, was raped. She was raped by, in Shechem. And so when Simeon and Levi heard about it, they're adults now, they're adult men, they're enraged and they want to take revenge on the men of Shechem. So we really don't hear about Levi after it talks about his birth. We really don't hear much about him. Uh, in, even in the passages like where they where Joseph was sold into slavery. We don't really hear about Levi much, but here, all of a sudden, he appears in the narrative, and he is angry, and he and his brother Simeon decide to take revenge. Do you guys remember how they do that? Yeah, it's a brutal story, right? It's in Genesis chapter 34, and what happens is that they tell the men of Shechem, we know you love our, our, the women in our in our clan, and so uh, in order for you to be able to mix with them and in order for us to, to do business with you in your area, that's all great and everything, but we can't do that unless you circumcise yourselves, just as we're circumcised. So the, the men in Shechem are like, hey, this is a great deal. We can get their women, we can get their livestock, we'll have their business. All we have to do is get circumcised, right? Maybe they didn't fully understand what it was. I don't know. But they agreed to it. So they were all circumcised. And uh, they, three days after they were circumcised, Simeon and Levi was like, yeah, the joke is on you. And they attacked and they killed all the men of the village. So now Jacob was angry, he was upset at the way that Levi and Simeon handled this because he felt like they were gonna make everybody in the land despise them and turn against them. He just was not happy with the way it happened. And later in the narrative, I believe it's in chapter 44 or 49, it's 49, when Jacob is about to die, he's giving his sons blessings and cursings. So for the ones who have done well, he blesses them, but he has a different thing for Simeon and Levi. Let's look at that quickly. <clears throat> Genesis 49, verse 5 through 7. It says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. 
For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So this is what Jacob says about these two sons. So they receive, rather than a blessing, they receive a curse from their father. It's a consequence of their anger and of their, the revenge, the bloodthirst that they had. And so you look at the consequence in their life, and you're like, well, I still don't see how they became priests from that then. How did, because, you know, what's, where's the, the leap? Well, we're getting there. Um, in, later on, you guys know the story where Moses uh, comes down from the mountain after getting the Ten Commandments, and Aaron, his brother, was with the children of Israel, and they said, we want an idol. Remember that? And they gave all their gold, their earrings, all this stuff to make an idol. And Moses was furious when he came down the, the mountain. And he says, to, he confronts Aaron, what is this? And Aaron said, I don't know. I put in the gold and out popped this cow. <laughs> it's a miracle. And so then we worshiped it. You know, it, it's a ridiculous story, ridiculous response. Uh, Moses was still furious. And of course, it was a lie. They, he purposely made an idol for worship, and at that point, Moses says to the children of Israel, who will stand with me on the Lord's side? And the Levites, the tribe of Levi, surrounded Moses, and they went to his side. And in that one act of obedience and complete surrender to the things of God, their uh, curse as it were, the negative side of it was lifted. It was changed. And so what happened is the Levites went with Moses and they were commanded then to take their sword and to kill a certain number of people. And some of them were their, their own family. And they were so committed to the Lord that they followed through with this. And so it changed the course of their destiny. Let's read that really quickly, just a few verses. Exodus 25 so you know I'm not making this stuff up. Starting in verse 22. You guys are following along in your Bible, right? Okay. You're not just texting your friend or playing Candy Crush or something. All right. Exodus 25, verse 22. It says, And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. So this was a huge thing, and it changed the destiny, changed the course of the tribe of Levi. And look how God shows in Deuteronomy that their punishment actually became a blessing. In Deuteronomy 33.10, he says, they shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. 
Now we know, we've heard verses and we sing songs. We know the story of Joseph. We get the concept of what the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. We get the, how many of you love that concept? And you know it. You know it's true. Come on. Anybody out there? Good grief. It's quiet up in here. You know, we know that that's true, but are you aware that even the discipline from the Lord is done for your good? Do you know that even the recognition that we have sin leads us to repentance and a restored relationship? There is literally no way to lose with God. There's no, no way to lose in that he really does have your best interest at heart. And I'm going to demonstrate that with some things about the Levites. You know, even though they had done what they did and they received that curse, because of their willingness to surrender to God, all throughout the 40 years of the wilderness period of Israel's history, the tribe of Levi primarily served the worship of the nation. They always camped the closest to the tabernacle than any other tribe, literally surrounding the tabernacle as it moved in the wilderness. They were gifted by God to minister to the Lord and his people in the tabernacle. The Levites had responsibility for transporting the Ark of the Covenant from place to place. They moved all the furniture. Remember when the nation crossed the Jordan River? It was the Levites who stood all day in the bed of the Jordan River and held the Ark of the Covenant high so the people could cross on dry ground. The Levites were in charge of maintaining the tabernacle itself with all of its cords and curtains and coverings. They had responsibility for all of the sacred furniture of the tabernacle, all the vessels for worship and sacrifice, all the poles and boards and bars that held the tent up. And later when the temple was built, they no longer had to move from place to place with the tabernacle, but they were still responsible for the upkeep of the temple and the furniture within it. They directed and performed in choirs and orchestras as worship leaders in the temple. And their whole existence centered around worshiping God. That's an amazing journey. That's an amazing journey from being cursed to being so blessed. God has literally set it up so that all things work together for the good as it promises us in Romans chapter 8. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not a great bumper sticker. It's not pie in the sky. It's the truth. I recently heard a song by Brandon Lake, uh, and the lyrics are something like this. It's not over till it's good. Something like that. And I remember thinking, this is so trite. <laughs> Sorry, Brandon Lake. Uh, I thought that the lyrics are so trite, you know. Uh, but then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, wait a minute, that is so true. The story's not over until God makes something good out of it. The story is not over for you or for that situation until God works it for your good. Think about that. And we think sometimes, man, this was a fatal blow. This person left. This person did that. I heard about this. And we just take that as, oh, man, that's a failure. Oh, man, that's a hard thing. Oh, man. But, but the story's not over. It doesn't have to be over for, for a child of God who's walking in faith to see what God is going to do with it. And quite honestly, even when we get a no about something, 
is for our good. Even when we get a, you better wait from God, it turns out to be for our good. It's just not pleasant at the time, right? So even if something looks like it's ending in a way we don't like, we can trust God to take the circumstances and to shape them or use it to shape us for our good, for his glory. And we see this in the life of Levi. He did something terrible that led to consequences for his sin. But then as he surrendered to God, God ended up using that for the blessing of his family, the blessing of his tribe, and the blessing of all the people of Israel. What does God, what is he going to do in your life? What is he going to do in your life? How is he going to change the story? How is he going to bring something good out of that thing that you're struggling with? So when we get to the part of of the distribution of land in this chapter, I'm reminded that, uh, you know, not everybody was happy. The tribes weren't all happy with the distribution. And you can, you know it. Think about the children of Israel. Think about what we know about them. You know, they, they say thank you one day, and an hour later they're complaining that God didn't do this, or they wish they were back in Egypt, or should have left me to die, or, you know, they, they, just, they have that sort of complaining spirit. We never do, though, right? I mean, none of us are like that. Always so grateful. Just our hearts are just overflowing, with thanksgiving all the time. Well, no, that's not true. There are some times when we're not grateful, but I'm sure that God wanted them to be grateful for what he gave them, that there was a reason, and they could have just received this area of land, this distribution, and been happy with it. I mean, the Levites hadn't received anything till this point, and then they received a city to live in, and we're going to talk about why or uh, how that affected Israel in just a moment, but what does God have for you What does he have for you? Are you complaining about it or are you receiving it and trusting him? Even the hard things. Can you say, God, I don't get this. I don't like this particular thing, but you know what? I'm going to trust you. Thank you for giving me the strength to endure it. Thank you, God, for giving me the energy. Thank you, God, for changing my mind, changing my outlook if I need to, right? But a lot of times we're like, why is it like this? I don't like this. What's your plan? What's going on? What are you doing? And we don't don't get an answer right away from God, you know? And we struggle with that. Well, I'm sure that the children of Israel struggled with the distribution of their lands. This is sort of the crowning act of all the distribution of the areas, this distribution of cities for the Levites. They were last. I think of the verse that... The first shall be last and the last shall be first. I think that, remember, we were told that for the Levites, God is their inheritance. So the materialism is not supposed to be a part of their picture. They're supposed to be content with the presence of God and, and, and with their particular walk in life. They're supposed to be content with that and not be stuck on materialism. It's a great lesson for us to really be centered on God and all that he is to us and not just on what he gives us. But the interesting thing is, is that these cities that the Levites were put into, remember, their father said that that they would be scattered 
And so they're scattered in cities all over the nation of Israel. I want you to look at this map. Check this out. Now, I'm not really concerned that you see the names of all the cities. I just want you to look at the little red dots. 48 cities for the Levites all over the land of Israel. And what's interesting is that all of the tribes have the Levites sprinkled all through their area. It's all through the tribes. So remember, in like, if, if you look at the, um, the tribes, they, they live in like um, regions together. They live in like a neighborhood, right? But the Levites are sprinkled throughout all the neighborhoods. Now, why do you think that is? We read about it in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 33.10 says, they will take my precepts to the people. So here these Levites are sprinkled across the nation in various cities, living side by side with people from various tribes. And these are the, this is the only people group that God did this with for a reason. I think of the passage that talks about the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth, it says in Matthew 5.13. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Um, so everybody yell out your favorite dish at Thanksgiving. Yell it out all at the same time. Ready, go. Did I hear somebody say mashed potatoes? <laughs> okay, now, Listen. I like them all, who am I kidding? But mashed potatoes, they're good. But have you ever gone to salt the mashed potatoes and you thought that you had opened the side of the shaker that had the sprinkle part, but instead you opened the big mouth part and it goes bleh. It happens, it happens to me. I'm not a cook, but I try to help sometimes. So, and what happens, man, that pours in there and you have a choice. You can either try to stir it into all the potatoes and hope it wasn't too much, which it would be, or you try to scoop it out before it gets mixed in as much as you can, and then you stir in the rest. Because if not, you're gonna get a big bite of over-salted potatoes, and it ruins it. It ruins it. And it's true of the way that we're called, like the Levites, to be sprinkled around the world, to be sprinkled around the world as seasoning, as salt. You know, I know that it's popular, you know, that some people, like, if you've, how many of you have seen the Jesus Revolution movie? You know how they all lived in the same dilapidated house, like a little commune and everything, and it's like, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful for Christians just to live together in peace and harmony <laughs> for about five minutes? I don't know. We actually did that when we were church planting and God, by his grace, gave us grace for like a year to live with a bunch of people. And it was quite great. But, but, you know, I don't think it's supposed to be that way. I don't think we're supposed to live in communes. Even if we could all get along and it was a little utopia, that's not the way that God has designed it. He really wants us to be a light and to be seasoning all around the world in every area of life. Not everybody is supposed to be a pastor or be on the church staff. That would be a really weird church. It'd be really weird and thwarted and not 
not fulfilling its purpose. Because you know in the book of Ephesians, it says that the reason that we gather together is to train people for the work of the ministry. That's a reason that all of the gifts are given to the, the teachers, the evangelists, all of that, because we come together and we, we reason about Jesus, we, we worship him, we, we get charged up, and we go out into every area of life for the work of the ministry. You're a minister, you just may not be on paid staff right? You're supposed to be sharing the love of Jesus everywhere you go with your family and friends and at work and at the store. And, you know, it, it's all for God and for his glory. And so here were the Levites. It was a very similar thing. They were sprinkled all over the nation. Basically, they were doing missional living, which is a, a really catchy evangelical phrase right now. They were doing missional living then. They were to be the hands and feet of God in their community and remind people about the decrees of God. And that's exactly what we're all about. Being the hands and feet of Jesus, being missional all around us, finding ways and inroads to share the love of Jesus with people and not just like, and I, every time I say something like this, I get in trouble. So if this is your career, please forgive me. But not like a used car salesman. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're not trying to get somebody to buy something and we're willing to say anything at any cost to get them to sign on the dotted line. That is not what we're doing. What we're doing is loving people and bringing the truth to them and helping them and serving them in the capacity that God opens the door for. And so I think it's a beautiful reminder for us in your school, in your workplace, in the shopping center, in the home. If you're grandma, you have your grandchildren, you have their ear, their love, their trust, aunts, uncles, cousins, everywhere we are. And so we need to own the gathering of coming together on Sundays and Thursday nights and every chance we get because community is important but we also need to own the sprinkled part, the part of being in our community and being missional. So the Levites brought the influence of the truth of who God is. And I wanna ask you, I wanna challenge us tonight, are we bringing the truth of who God is into our communities, wherever your community is? This is not meant to be condemnation. It's meant to be a challenge. It's meant to be an encouragement. You know, I can definitely improve on this as well. And in every area of my life, I want to bring Christ to people. And I want to tell you that um, I was talking to a brother a couple of weeks ago who was telling me that he... Um, he struggles with social media because he was saying a bunch of stuff on social media and everybody's mad at him. And uh, he said, everybody's mad at me. They're saying terrible things back to me and I just don't know what I've done. And uh, he was just really down about it. He felt betrayed by his friends on social media. And um, I said, well, what kinds of things were they attacking? And so then he showed me what he said. I said, bro, I would attack you too. <laughs> I wouldn't. But 
I get it. He was trying so hard to be a light, and we can fall into this, so listen carefully. He was trying so hard to hold up a standard that he was being angry and rude and offensive because he was trying to hold a standard of truth, but it wasn't coming across. Does that make sense? That's not missional living. It's really not. Like in our flesh, we can't make people understand. We can't make them do right. We can only ask God to check our hearts that we would live right and we do share truth and we do share love. But when it gets to the point that we're manipulative or angry or ugly about it, there's something wrong. We need to go back to the Lord and say, God, help me. God, help me not get in the flesh. Help me to trust you with this person. Trust you with their heart because God is completely able. God is completely able to capture their attention. But it's not going to be through an angry you, you know. So missional living is bringing the truth of God, but bringing it in a way where your motivation is love. It's love. So verses 9 through 40 um, really deal with, they, they take the 48 cities that were given, and then it breaks it down exactly which tribes gave which cities. And so it becomes very clear. So the first eight verses is like a general overview. And then the next 30 verses is the in-depth version of how those 48 cities were divided to uh, the tribe of Levi. And I encourage you to take a look at that on your own time and study it. And if you want to compare, you can go to the passage in 1 Chronicles 6 and look at the passages side by side because 1 Chronicles 6 includes some information that's not included in this chapter. All right, we're going to move on to verse 41. Verse 41 says, The cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its pasture lands around it. So it was with all these cities. So you have the city, then you have some common ground around the city that they could uh, use for their, their sheep, all right? So that's, that's the way it was. And I, I think, I look at this and I think, man, these guys gave it all up. They were in ministry. God called them to minister in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And they gave it all not knowing if they were going to get anything for, for sure till the very end. They said, hey, I, we were supposed to, to get cities. <laughs> you know, and they're like, yeah, all of our tribes are going to give you some of their inheritance. And I want to say this to you. If God has called you to serve him in some capacity, you know, some, we've all been called to serve God in a capacity as ministers, but I mean, if God is calling you to serve him full time, to leave your normal paying job and to serve him, I think I hear more than anything else people wondering about, is God going to take care of us? Is he going to support us? What's going to happen? Am I going to have a retirement someday? Um, you know, what does all that look like? And I just want to tell you that I don't know anybody that has given their life to the service of God 
that is left without. I don't know of anyone. It doesn't look like it looks for everybody else all the time. But you can trust God. You can trust him to care for you. And I just want you to realize, like even for the Levites, man, they surrendered all and God took care of them and gave them the opportunity to be in his presence more than anyone else. Their whole life was centered around worship. Not just singing songs, but the act of worshiping God, being in his presence. And what a rich life they had. And if God has called you to some sort of service like that, you can step out in faith and trust him. He is so good. I'm so glad that we can trust him for these things. Um, does God want to sprinkle you uh, somewhere other than where you are currently? Is he calling you to ministry? Is he calling you to church planting? This Sunday at 12.45, right after the service, I already mentioned this, we're having a meeting, a family meeting about the Awakened Church community and you get to meet the pastors who have planted churches with Awaken. And it's gonna be really great, it's gonna be fascinating for you, I'm sure. And we get to celebrate what God has done. And some of you may feel called to missions or you may feel called to be on a church planting team or you may feel called to be a church planting pastor or you may be called to do any number of things that God is moving in your heart. And we wanna to talk to you about that. We wanna pray with you. We wanna believe with you. When I say that we have church in order to praise God and to raise you up to do the work of the ministry, we mean that with all of our heart. What we would love to see are Bible studies just sprouting up all over the city. We would love to see just a huge impact of the Spirit of God through the people in this church. That evangelism is happening in your workplaces all around you. That families are being restored, marriages healed, right? We would love to see these things happen more and more and more. And that's about the Spirit of God working through your life. It's very exciting. Look at verse 43. It says, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Now, I just, yeah, go ahead, give the Lord a hand clap. That's awesome. This isn't the end of the book of Joshua, but it's kind of the end of this section, isn't it? It's a celebration that God had really done what he said he would do. He really did it. And, and I just want to say, look, it says... And they took possession of it. Remember, they had to be challenged to go take possession. And then it says, the Lord gave them rest on every side. Why is that significant? Because they hadn't had rest. They hadn't had peace. Their lives had been turmoil, but God got them through it. It says not one of all their enemies had withstood them, meaning what? That the enemies tried to withstand them. It means they had battles. 
They had things that happened. And, 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 but God brought them through it all. And I just want to let you know, how many of you, or ask you this question, how many of you can look at your, look back, just 30,000 foot view at your life and go, man, God was with me the whole time. Raise your hand. Yeah, you sense it, you know it, you see it. But if you were to look closer through that rear view mirror, you would still say God was with you the whole time. But you would also say, but this patch was rough. This happened and that was a hard thing. This happened and I was so grieved, but God revived me and restored me. I went through this, but God was with me the whole time. I thought I would die here, but I didn't die. Because when we look back over our lives and we look at the little micro situations we were in, some of them were rough. And when you're going through those rough things, you don't always feel like, God's got this. Everything's great. In fact, sometimes it's a little bit hard, isn't it, to remember that God accomplishes all he says he will do. When we're in the midst of those things, it's hard. I mean, the children of Israel, when it says here, not one of their enemies had withstood them, do you think they always felt that way when they were in battle? When they were facing a bigger guy with a bigger club? Do you think that they were like, oh, I got this? Or were they like, oh, Lord, have mercy. Boom. They had to trust God. And it's not always easy, is my point. But just like they found out that God was good and that God would keep his word, every one of them, and that what all would come to pass, it is the same for us. What are you going through right now that's a challenge for you? When you're on the mountaintop, it's easy to trust, but it's when you're in the valley that faith is real. Joshua was told by God, be strong and very courageous. Why? Because he had a problem with fear. Are there some situations where you need courage because right now you're feeling fear? You don't have to feel like less of a Christian or feel like you're a failure or feel like you're defeated. Instead, you call out to the God who has the power to strengthen you by his spirit, to move you through that situation, to miraculously change your situation. I love Psalm 91. I'm just going to read the end. It says, because God holds fast to me in love. Excuse me, I'm in the wrong spot here. Because he holds fast to me in love. This is God talking. I will deliver him. I will protect him. Because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God promises to be with us, to rescue us. It doesn't matter if somebody else got you into that problem, if it was just an attack of the enemy, or if you yourself blew it and got yourself into a mess, God is still our rescuer. He has not forsaken you. 
There's no greater example of how God keeps all of his promises and how he keeps us through our saving relationship with him. Just think about it. The word says that he is faithful to complete what he started in you. He's faithful to complete it. He saw you when you were knit together in your mother's womb. He called you. You belong to him. He knew all of the things you would struggle with. And he still called you. He still saved you. He is your Lord and your God. He is saying, be all in with me. Give all to me. Surrender to me. Let me move in your life miraculously. I believe that God wants to do that. His promises are good and he is faithful. You know, I, I love that Joshua talked about the, the, in chapters 18 and 19, the encouragement to take possession. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that here in Bible study, the need to take possession of the blessings of God, the spiritual blessings that he's given us. He really wants us to live in that, to live in those spiritual blessings and to be the children of God that he's called us to be. And he can empower us to do that more and more day by day as we surrender to him. And I, I just have to tell you that for me, that is only possible when spending time in his word to really desire, to fully desire to have victory over sin, to have freedom from the power of sin, to desire that in my life, only remains a constant when I'm studying his word and spending time in prayer. And if that slides in my life, my attention and my focus to walk in the spirit and to be true to my calling to God, it can wane, it can flutter, it can, it can just, you know, be a thing with wings. And, and I struggle but without just being in his presence, you know? And I just want to encourage us to spend time in prayer. The prayer experience tomorrow night is just an amazing opportunity to find out how to pray and how to pray more effectively, how to spend time in the presence of God. And I believe that is going to make such a huge difference in our walk with him. So just like the tabernacle was in the center of Israeli society and it was in Shiloh, which is in the center of the country, and Shiloh means a place of rest, the message for us tonight is if you want to be spiritually at peace and at rest, that comes from having God in the very center of everything we are, say, do, and think. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you so much and we thank you, God, for your precious word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for what you have provided for us through Jesus Christ, which is not only salvation, but it's a relationship. And it's by your Holy Spirit, the power 
to live this Christian life and to day by day gain victory over areas in our life that have been struggles in the past. And we thank you for that, God. And we thank you that there is so much more to our life than just what we see here. There, there's so much more to it. This life here on this earth is but a breath. And then we will be in your presence. So God, we pray that you would adjust our attention, adjust our focus. We thank you, Father, for all that you have done and all that you will do. Give us hearts of gratitude and gratefulness. Bless my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.